numbers. A capable wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband who trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her land does not go out of she puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor, and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness. She looks well to the ways in her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy. Her husband, too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the city gates. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For those there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality and hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly. In order to spend what you get and your pleasures, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here with the Spirit, the same in the church.
why we need all of us working together to be disciples. These three readings from Proverbs, Psalms, and James can make us feel that discipleship is about perfection. And we know full well that we are not perfect. Especially when the challenges of our lives throw us into survival. We also know the expectations of perfection voices upon people by religion throughout the ages has led to judgment, disappointment, shame, and worst of all, the loss of relationship between God and God's people. If God expected all those things of us all the time, it would be very difficult indeed to continue in a relationship with that God. But what if God is more loving and realistic than that, which I believe God is? What if we are given all these descriptions of perfect goodness, not as expectations or requirements, but as a purpose, as a direction toward which to steer our course, recalibrate our goals, to reset our sights when life throws us inevitably off course? What if discipleship isn't about being perfectly good, wise, generous, righteous, pious, or strong, but about setting our sights in the general direction of those things? Because without some description of our ideal potential as disciples, we are perhaps left directionless, lost within our human limitations. And speaking of human limitations, Every time I read stories of Jesus' companions, the disciples of his time, I am struck by how very limited their ability to understand Jesus was. Last week, we heard Jesus tell his disciples for the first time that he was going to die. And this week, we hear him tell them the same thing again. Hey guys, I'm not sure if you understand the first, understood me the first time I told you. So I'm going to have to tell you again. I am not going to overthrow the Red Roman Empire as you have hoped. I am actually going to be betrayed into human hands. And I'm going to be killed. Honestly, I think I would be as thick-headed as the disciples in that moment. How does one respond to such information? Apparently, late in denial. And one handy way to be in denial is to choose something petty to argue about, which is exactly what the disciples did. Which one of us is the greatest? Which makes me think simultaneously of fights on the kindergarten playground and some of the political rage that have been filled as of late. Neither of which necessarily embody Christian discipleship. So Jesus has just told the disciples that he was going to be betrayed into human hands. And now they are fighting about who among them is best. Who perhaps was the least likely to be capable of betraying the Messiah? I wonder if the lesson Jesus offers them next is actually a lesson in how not to be the one to betray him. And still today he is teaching us how not to be the one to betray him in our routine betrayals of one another for the sake of our own ease, comfort, and ambition. 
disciples that the way to be the best is to welcome in the least. Diplomas, degrees, doctorates, honors, promotions, publications, gold medals, lengthy resumes, and fame, these things are nothing. When fostering discipleship, we need to expand ourselves in one category and one category alone. Love. Our focal point of that love needs to be those who are easiest for us to ignore. Do we love those who are most unlike us? Those who make us the most uncomfortable? Those who make no noise to get our attention? Those suffering in the photos on our news feeds who make us feel so ill-equipped to do anything? We love them in our hearts and with whatever resources and actions we can muster for. Can we look at these first three readings that we heard today and use those descriptors as personal and communal goals that we reach for with the intention of equipping ourselves for the real work of God in the world, the real work of self-sacrificing, radical, irrational, Love. I know that I fall short of this every day. That my avoidance of populations who challenge me is, in effect, an act of betrayal to Jesus and to the love that He taught us. I also know that when I am here with you all, I feel the strength of a powerful love growing in me, in us. The kind of love that makes us together into disciples. And equipped by that love, we can take one step in the right direction today. And we can take another step tomorrow. And another step the next day. And so on and so forth. We can, with great effort and intentionality, prayer and discernment, respect and love, take step after step closer to people who need us to do just that. People whose society sees as least and last, and who Jesus calls us to see as part of him. And I think we can do this. Because I don't believe that God would call us into discipleship and tell us exactly what to do as disciples without also equipping us to do those things. I could not bear to live in a world that contains so much pain. I could not bear to keep breathing after watching children in the news not breathing. I could not bear to know anything of the pain that has ejected thousands of refugees from war-torn countries like Syria. I could not bear to hold in my heart people who are terminally ill or in great pain. I could not bear to raise two children in this world if I did not trust in Jesus' presence with us and in our very real ability to partner with him, to be his disciples, and to do what needs to be done to move our world one step closer to the global community God dreams of. Where hunger, violence, and hatred have lost all power. The first
first thing said about the capable wife in Proverbs is that she is more precious than jewels. We, in this odd sort of marriage with God, are more precious than jewels. And so is each and every soul in this aching world. When we leave here today, let us go forth treating one another as such. Let us be disciples putting one foot in front of the other in the direction of a life that is good and just and loving, worthy of praise and powerful beyond our understanding. And let us remember that while much is asked of us, we are not for one moment left to labor without a strong and able partner, Jesus Christ, our companion and redeemer.
Thank you. 